Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace Lord, we pray that you would sweep us up into the song of the angels this night. That you would help us to understand the good news of your son's coming. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, Merry Christmas, Incarnation. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas Eve. It's good to be in worship with you tonight on this candlelit Christmas Eve service. You know, the Christmas story is one of the most famous stories, not just in the Bible, but in all the world of literature. And I think our reading today from Luke 2 is probably the most famous part of this very famous story. So here we have the lowly shepherds abiding in the field. We have the angels singing glory to God in the highest. We have Joseph the carpenter and his fiancée, the Blessed Virgin Mary, who is great with child. We have their precarious journey to the prophesied birthplace of Bethlehem. And of course, at the center of it all, we have the newborn king, the Messiah, the Savior, as the angels call him, who is laid in a manger, which is a feeding trough for animals, because there is no place for the Son of God in the inn. It's incredible. Now, I want to ask... The tweens and kids in this church, I want to start by asking you a question. What's your favorite Christmas movie and why? Yeah, Leora, what's your favorite Christmas movie? Mine is probably the movie Elf. Elf? That's really funny. That is a funny movie, and that guy is super confused throughout the movie. Or everyone thinks he is, but he's actually an elf. It's amazing, yeah. But what about you, Ben? Home Alone. Oh my goodness. That's that is a hilarious movie. Great soundtrack too. Yeah, Nim. Polar What's, Express. Polar Express. Yeah, you like that movie, yeah. How about you, Laura? The Grinch. The Grinch, yeah. Oh my goodness. I like the old animated version because the animation is so hilarious to me. Yeah, well, my favorite Christmas movie is probably a Charlie Brown Christmas. I like it because it exposes the commercialism of the season. I mean, even his own dog has gone commercial, right? <laughs> he's sold out. He's, he's decorating his doghouse to win money. Snoopy, gone astray. But my favorite part is when all the other kids get mad at Charlie Brown because he picks out a poor tree. Can't you tell a good tree from a poor tree, Charlie Brown? And all the other kids are mad at him. And he's like, can somebody please tell me what Christmas is all about? And Linus says, sure, sure, Charlie Brown. I'll tell you what Christmas is all about. And he walks to the center of the stage, and this beam of light shines on him. And what does he say? He reads out this passage that was just read for us out of Luke 2. It's one of the clearest and most powerful references to Jesus I know of in movies. And then... He walks slowly over to Charlie Brown, and he says, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. That's what I want to talk about tonight. I want to talk about what is Christmas all about. I think most people would agree, even if they're not religious, that Jesus is at the very least one of the most important historical figures in the world. Perhaps the most important figure in recorded history in terms of the impact he had. 
So much so that 2,000 years later, the great Caesar Augustus now just seems like a footnote in the story of Jesus Christ rather than the other way around. Who would have thought that at the time? But Christmas is about more than the birth of the world's most famous person. It's about the birth of the God-man. A few years ago, I was reading a book called Jesus of Nazareth, written by a theologian named Joseph Ratzinger, who is more commonly known as Pope Benedict XVI. And near the beginning of the book, Benedict poses the question, what is the most important contribution to human history that Jesus made? What is the biggest way that he impacted the world? And he goes through several possible answers. So one possible answer is the way that Jesus impacted morality. Jesus is the greatest moral teacher of all time. His sayings have informed the consciences of human beings throughout the world for 2,000 years. Another possible answer would be to point to Jesus' influence on art. He's inspired the world's greatest masterpieces in painting and music and literature and architecture. I think as modern people, especially if we know our history, we might point to Jesus' influence on human rights. And no doubt we can have a good discussion about Jesus' impact on the abolition of slavery upon women's suffrage, global literacy, the rights of the physically and mentally handicapped, all these movements and more grew out of the original movement that Jesus began 2,000 years ago. But Ratzinger says that all of these things are secondary. There's actually something far more foundational, something far more fundamental that Jesus brought into the world. Because in the face of Jesus of Nazareth, People find God. Jesus brought God near to us. That's his most important contribution to the world. He is Emmanuel, God with us. The Word made flesh. And it doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're rich or poor, brilliant, illiterate, whether you're part of a traditional agrarian culture or a post-industrial culture, because people of all kinds from all walks of life have found in the face of Jesus a clear revelation of who God is. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has put eternity in the hearts of man. The ache of human beings is an eternal ache. It can only be satisfied by something eternal. It's like St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they rest in him. C.S. Lewis once said, if I'm honest with myself in a quiet place, I find within myself a desire for which nothing on this earth can satisfy. And he says, now, it's actually irrational to think that we would have desires that don't have a corresponding satisfaction, right? He says, so we have the desire, we, we, we experience thirst, and there's something called water, right? We experience hunger, there's something called food. We experience all kinds of desires, right? And there's a corresponding satisfaction. And so what do we say if there's nothing in this world that satisfies this desire? Not that it's irrational that we should have it, but that this desire can only be satisfied by something that's not of this world. This is humanity's most basic existential need, to know God, and through Jesus, 
Somehow we find him. Or to put it more accurately, he has come to find us. That's what Christmas is all about. And that's why it's such a big deal. Because through the coming of Christ, the invisible God has made himself visible. The point reminds me of a book called Flatland. I used this um, illustration at a wedding that I preached at the other day. But I actually realized as I was preparing, this is actually much more appropriate for Christmas. Okay, So in the book Flatland, it's about a completely two-dimensional world. And there's, you know... Uh, squares and triangles and whatever, and they have to move around each other like this, right? Because there's no third dimension. They live in a completely flat land, right? And, uh, but one day, flat land is, is, uh, receives a visitor from another dimension, the third dimension, okay? And it's a sphere. And when the sphere comes into this completely flat land, what does the sphere look like? It looks like a circle, right? So this circle in their eyes, is telling them all about this, this other dimension. And they think, well, this, this guy's just irrational. It's not that he's irrational, it's beyond their rationality. And he's trying to testify to a reality that they don't know, but they, they can't understand. It's a paradigm shift for them. And so they reject him. Now, this is very similar to the Christmas story, if you think about it. Because what we're saying is that God became incarnate came in the flesh. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us and yet continued to be the eternal Son of God. And he's testifying to another reality. And, and we just, we're not so sure about that. We reject him. John chapter 1 says, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. That which he made but they didn't receive him. I think one of the things that's going on with the angels in this story is that it's almost like there's this heavenly entourage from this other dimension that's saying, don't miss what's going on here. I know that it's hard for you to perceive it in this little baby, in this manger, in this moment. But... Glory to God in the highest. They were witnessing to what this, what's going on in the heavenly dimension. What's always gone on in the heavenly dimension. This worship of the Son of God. We're still in danger of missing this point today. And I love that the famous Christmas hymn exhorts us. Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angels' voices. O night divine. It's a three-dimensional night Christmas was. O night when Christ was born. What did the angels say about this child? What was their heavenly testimony about him? What do they call him? They say, fear not. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. In other words, they shared the good news that the rightful king of the world has come down from his heavenly dimension to be our Savior. Now, I want to ask the children in this room another question. What's your favorite Christmas song and why?
What's your favorite Christmas song? Ruthie, do you have a favorite Christmas song? Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Why is that your favorite Christmas song, Ruthie? It's pretty fun. It's funny, too. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, what's your favorite Christmas song? Oh, Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Yeah, why do you like that song? Because it's about Jesus coming. That's a great answer, Ben. Yeah. Grandma got rid of the virus. <laughs> yeah. All right, we got we got a jokester. I see what's going on here. Yeah. Yes. Go tell it on the mountain. That's a fun song for sure. We haven't sung that yet this season. We got to do that. Leora, what's your favorite Christmas song? <laughs> yeah, we were thinking about starting uh, the prelude for this service to be Feliz Navidad tonight. So we thought that would just kind of set the right mood. Um, we got one more? Right here. Yeah, yeah. Nora, what's your favorite? One of my favorites is Joy to the World. Joy to the World. Oh, uh, yeah, I love that song, too. Well, you might not be surprised because I just quoted from this hymn, but my favorite Christmas hymn, my favorite Christmas carol is the song, O Holy Night. And I especially love the part that says, Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Now what does he mean when he says the soul felt its worth when Jesus came? He means that God loved us so much that he was willing to take our sin and error upon himself, paying the full price for it on the, on the cross. So just to give this illustration, so God desires that we be in complete fellowship with him like this. That's the way that it was in the beginning. That's the way that God always wanted it to be. But then what happened is there became a barrier to our fellowship with God. Sin and error. <laughs> Actually, this is my copy of the book Sound and the Fury. I thought it would work pretty well. <laughs> so now there's a barrier to us having that intimate fellowship with God. But what happens with Jesus is he comes down from heaven and he takes our sin upon himself. And he dies on the cross for us. So that there's no barrier between fellowship, between us and God. We can have a relationship with God because of what He's mercifully done to deal with our sin and error. Because what does the gospel communicate about the worth of the human soul in the eyes of God? It says that we are so valuable to God that He was willing to pay the ultimate price for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's a pretty high value. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. A relationship with the living God. The hymn also says, the weary world rejoices. Why did the weary world rejoice? Because... The rightful king of the earth has shown his sacrificial heart for us. And the weary world was not used to that kind of king. The world was used to kings like Caesar Augustus, who's mentioned here in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. 
And, you know, Caesar Augustus was the most famous king of the most famous empire in the history of the world. I've always found it strange to the point of eerie that in the fullness of time, Jesus Christ was born during the reign of Caesar Augustus. And if he was born around 6 BC, which is our best guess, it means that Caesar Augustus was king, was Caesar, for the majority of Jesus' life. It's hard to imagine two more unalike figures, two more unalike kingdoms than the kingdom of Augustus and Jesus. Augustus was born into a prosperous family near Rome, the nephew of Julius Caesar. Jesus was born into a poor family in Bethlehem, the son of a carpenter. Augustus was a ruthless man. Jesus was the model of love and mercy. Augustus sought for his own earthly glory. In fact, he took this name August. He's August. He took it upon himself. But Jesus laid aside his own rightful heavenly glory. Augustus was famous for the Pax Romana, a Roman peace that was won through the bloodshed of others. Jesus secured our everlasting peace with God through the shedding of his own blood. Augustus killed all his enemies, even his own brother. But Jesus died for all his enemies, even his executioners. Augustus is still in the grave, but the grave couldn't hold Jesus down. Augustus' empire came to an end, but Jesus' kingdom will have no end. In summary, from one we learn about the ways of man, and from the other we learn about the kingdom of God. And what a glorious kingdom it is. How could it be? How could this be anything less than a thrill of hope for a weary world? For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Andrew Murray writes, Christ is the humility of God embodied in human nature. The eternal love humbling itself, clothing itself in the garb of meekness and gentleness to win and serve and save us. And so he is still in the midst of the throne, the meek and lowly Lamb of God. And as we gather here tonight to sing carols, as we return home to our houses, as we go about the craziness of this week, we need to remember that this is what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Amen. Amen.